because I'm very open about the fact that I have ADHD, it's something I often talk about on my social media and, of course, on this podcast. Every day, somebody asks me if I, in fact, take medication for ADHD. Spoiler alert, I do. And in fact, I did take it before this interview. We're going to talk about a lot of common medications used in the treatment of ADHD. We're going to talk about who's ideal for them, etc. But here's what I want you to keep in mind. This is one doctor's opinion. And every doctor is a human and they have their own unique experience and perspective and biases when it comes to the treatment of ADHD. So do your due diligence. Your treatment plan is only as good as the doctor that you're working with. And if you just don't feel like your doctor is really listening to you and understands your history, your personality, and all of the things that you're sharing about yourself and your brain, don't be afraid to go find somebody else, all right? Please, promise me you'll do that. And I just wanted to give you a heads up that when we get to the part about Stratera, I am going to insert some additional information, additional research that we did not discuss during our interview. But I think it's really important for those of you who are trying to evaluate what might be the right medication, if any, in the treatment of you or your loved one's ADHD. Welcome to this edition of The Shaleen Show. Today, I have a topic that we've never discussed here on The Shaleen Show, which is crazy because, I don't know, what have we done? Almost a thousand episodes. I feel like I've talked about every single topic known to man, but there's still more to learn and still more to explore. And today, we're talking about prescription treatment for focus. So if you think you have ADD, if you think you have ADHD, and you're not sure, or maybe you are sure, Either way, if you're someone who struggles with focus and you're wondering how medication might be able to help you with that, this is your episode. I learned so much from my guest. My guest today is Dr. Craig Heacock. I found him because he's got a really interesting podcast show, which we'll reference at the end of this show. He is someone who treats both adolescents and adults. Dr. Craig Heacock is a practicing psychiatrist in Fort Collins, Colorado. He graduated medical school from Brown University. Not too shabby. His podcast is called Back from the Abyss. His special interest is in not just treating patients with ADHD and focus issues, but also in the treatment with psychedelics, ketamine, treating mood disorders, PTSD, We didn't get too much into that today, but we really went deep into the topic of focus and why there's a sudden surge where everyone thinks they have ADHD and why is there's this huge demand for pharmaceuticals to treat ADHD and how could that be damaging us? What are some of the alternatives? What are some of the things you need to be aware of? What about treating kids? We went into all of it. He was so generous with his knowledge and his information, and you're really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, Dr. Craig Heacock. Thank you so much for being here with us today. This is a topic we have never discussed in depth. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. You know, with social media, I think, well, based on the reports, it sounds like there is a 50% increase in the number of people who have been diagnosed with ADHD since the year 2006, and it continues to rise. I think obviously social media shows like this, TikTok, Instagram, that definitely plays into it, I would assume. But what else do you attribute to this increase? You know, like my parents say, when you were little, everyone didn't have ADHD and now they do. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think ADD is more recognized now, but also, you know, just to back up, if we look at what are arguably the three biggest causes of inattention, of attention problems, ADD is not at the top of the list. You know, the three biggest causes of inattention are you know, poor sleep, inadequate diet, not keeping your blood sugar up, and the hyperattention economy, or some of the best and brightest minds of our day now are trying to grab our attention. I mean, it's never been yeah. a more difficult time in human history right now than to try to maintain focus. Oh, and actually, let me add one more thing to the top of that list. Probably actually the number one thing that causes attentional problems is anxiety. I've been thinking for the last few years, like we're in the age of anxiety. So many people that I see, especially coming out of the pandemic, young people, adolescents. And so if you think of the anxious brain versus the ADD brain, they actually look very similar. So a lot of people who come to me saying I have ADD, when we dial down, what they really have is anxiety. And surprise, surprise, anxiety often affects sleep. So my classic person presenting, you know, thinking they have ADD, they actually have significant anxiety and poor sleep. It's interesting that you're alluding to this. Over the pandemic, I think stimulant prescriptions went up by like 8 million or 10 million in the US. So is it really that many more people have ADD? No, I think that many more people have deep existential angst. That many more people are spending time doom scrolling. That many more people are home with their stressful families trying to maintain attention. And a lot of them came to their doctors to get stimulants to try to cope. But mm. surely only a small percentage of all those additional stimulant prescriptions that, that happened over COVID were actually bona fide ADD. So is it, if I'm reading between the lines, you're suggesting that it's almost like an environmental response, that it's a product of our environment, not so for some, right? And for some, it is brain chemistry and genetics, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I look at the brain scan of my dad and myself, it, it's crazy how similar they are and how dissimilar my brain scan was from my husband, who's mm -hmm. like laser focused and... God bless them for dealing with someone with such extreme ADHD. But that's really interesting to know that our brains are similar. And you said something that I never thought of. Someone who's got extreme anxiety, they're going to have a difficult time focusing on anything. Exactly. Like the example I use with my patients, I say, look, if I had just gotten terrible news about my beloved dog and I'm trying to listen to you during this session, it might be that I actually hear nothing you say for 30 minutes. Do I have ADD? No, I have grief. I have anxiety. Or all of us have experienced this. What's the number one consequence of a bad night of sleep? Poor focus and attention. You know, and when we look at what screens and social media and alerts have done on phones, whenever I talk to my patients about actually how many hours of sleep they're getting, it's endlessly shocking. Again, a lot of these people have severe attentional problems. And a lot of these people are on stimulants. I get a lot of people coming to me with purported you know, ADD, ADHD who are on stimulants. But again, when you drill down, you see, no, you have serious anxiety and sleep problems. Interestingly, what's the number one side effect of stimulants? Poor sleep. Wakefulness, so, yeah. Yeah. So I've always wondered, like, if you could look at everybody who's on Adderall and other stimulants in the US, what percentage of them actually have ADD, ADHD? My guess is it's under 40%. I bet it's 30, 35%. That's interesting. That was going to be my next question is just for you to guess at what you think that ratio looks like. What about in your own practice? What percentage of the time do they come to you and they're like, okay, doc, I watched this TikTok. So therefore I have ADHD. What percentage of the time are they dead on? I would say usually almost everybody who comes saying they have ADD, they don't have ADD. 
they have terrible attentional problems. Maybe we should talk about ADD as a diagnosis just for a moment. Yeah, let's do so that. So I was just thinking about that while I was running today. So ADD is actually very poorly named, you know, attention deficit disorder. Attention is only one small, small, small part of ADD. Really what ADD should have been called is executive functioning disorder. And what is executive functioning? Executive functioning is the ability of the brain to plan, prioritize, carry out tasks. It's kind of the general contractor of the brain. People with ADD, ADHD, again, which is very genetic, as you pointed out, it's one of the most genetic of all psychiatric illnesses, even more than mm. depression or even more than bipolar disorder. People with bona fide ADD, ADHD, yes, they have attentional problems, but more than that, they have executive functioning problems. And that's what really causes them great distress. But because it's misnamed, I think a lot of people with attentional problems, here's a perfect example. So I have a lot of women will show up like in perimenopause in their 40s and they'll say, I'm pretty sure I have ADD. Well, what's happening in perimenopause? One thing is insomnia, hot flashes. And so when you drill down with these patients, you often find, yeah, they're getting terrible sleep. There's family stressors and they're having more attentional problems. But are they having executive functioning problems? No. And so executive functioning problems are more complicated to evaluate for because then you really have to go back and talk about school and what it looked like in class and with you know, procrastination, organization. And you know, a lot of people with ADD, ADHD struggle to really monitor time and sort of what would be like, if you don't have ADD, I think you kind of have a sense what five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. But if you have ADD, ADHD, it's almost like the chronometer in your brain that's mm-hmm. part of your executive mm-hmm. functioning is broken. And so you can't track time. So thus, you're always late. You're trying to do too much in too short a period of time. People are getting so frustrated with you. And yes, do you have attentional problems? Yes, but the core of it is that you have executive functioning problems. I know we're talking about prescription medications for the treatment of ADHD. And we're also talking about lifestyle changes that you can make. But without a doubt, there are a number of minerals and vitamins that people are deficient in that make your brain and your body function at an optimal level. And if you're deficient in those levels, well, then your brain is deficient in its potential. And that's why I always tell people like, get your levels checked. And that's why I'm always telling people, look at the minerals that people are most deficient in, one of them being magnesium. Magnesium improves brain function. It improves your focus by enhancing your synaptic plasticity which is just a fancy way of saying like it allows your brain to grow, to form new connections. It regulates your transmitters. It reduces inflammation. Inflammation is one of those things that creates brain fog. It's involved in our energy, our metabolism. When your magnesium is off, it's hard to get good sleep. It's hard to get quality sleep. It helps us to maintain a stable mood. It helps us with energy, blood pressure, irritability, stronger bones, all of those things. I was looking for a quality magnesium supplement, and that's how I discovered our show sponsor today, magbreakthrough.com. It is a magnesium supplement that offers all seven forms of magnesium so that your body can actually absorb them. And when you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, you pretty much every function of your body is upgraded from your brain to your sleep to inflammation, pain, stress, all of it. 
Today, listeners of The Shaleen Show can go to megbreakthrough.com forward slash Shaleen. When you use that code, you qualify for the Shaleen Show discount. Plus, when you use promo code Shaleen, you will unlock special gifts with your purchase. This is a limited time offer for select orders. So go to megbreakthrough.com forward slash Shaleen right now. And don't forget to use promo code Shaleen. If you have ADD, ADHD, it's almost like the chronometer in your brain. As part mm-hmm. of your executive mm-hmm. functioning is broken. And so you can't track time. So thus, you're always late. You're trying to do too much in too short a period of time. People are getting so frustrated with you. And yes, do you have attentional problems? Yes. But the core of it is that you have executive functioning problems. So with all of this awareness, part of it, when I think about my own situation, it's impossible not to when we're having this discussion. I feel like it is because of this heightened awareness and almost kind of lifting some of the stigma around having mental health issues, really, that it helped me to go like, huh, I wonder if I should look further. And looking further, it helped me to realize like, oh, okay, I can do some testing. And I think there's a healthy number of people who are listening who probably otherwise would still be beating themselves up and thinking there's something wrong with them. Like, I thought it was stupid. I thought maybe I had dementia. I thought like there was just something wrong with my brain. And I did a lot of like hiding of the ways that I would cope, right? Although I'm also happy that I didn't get diagnosed until I was 45 because in some ways I learned so many different ways to manage myself mm-hmm. and to manage my attention that I see it as kind of a benefit. But I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, th- there's a little bit of both, right? Like, so there's environmental things that are yes. causing people to think they have ADHD when they don't. And then there's also this increased awareness that's allowing people who are like, this now explains my entire life. Well, I think, yeah, you're right on. I think maybe more accurately, there are environmental influences which can wreck your attention, whether or not you have ADD. So let's Mm. say in my practice, who come in with serious attentional problems, but they don't have ADD. Now, that said, I also see a lot of people with ADD, but a huge distinction is, and you mentioned this with the scans, ADD is extremely genetic. It doesn't just fall out of the sky. People with bona fide ADD, ADHD, when you ask like anyone else in your family, oh, my dad, he actually is like me, had trouble getting things done, 18 projects, running late, scattered, or my sister. Because when people talk about ADD kinds of symptoms, but really they can give a good history and no one else in the family has anything like it, that argues heavily against Again, genetic bona fide ADD because you're born with it. Whereas, you know, what I see a lot in my practice is people coming like I'm having these recent onset severe attentional problems, which again, inevitably is anxiety, it's poor diet, it's sleep disruption, or it's just, let me tell this story. It's great. I saw this guy recently. He's in a very prestigious law school. He got all A's in college and he came to me. He said, I have ADD. I said, really? What makes you think that? He said, because I can't focus in lecture. I said, well, tell me about lecture. Well, what we got to as I explored more, He's in class. He's got his laptop up. He's IMing. He's playing Worlds of Warcraft. He's watching YouTube and, and he's taking notes on the law school lecture. On tort law. <laughs> yeah. And he said, I need Adderall. I said, maybe. I said, but maybe you just need to like do one thing, like listen to the lecture. And mm-hmm. you know, as I point out to him, you've got A's and where he was an outstanding student, never diagnosed with ADD, never on stimulants. But here he was with all this attention chaos. And even he was not able to sort of cut through that. We talk a lot on the show about alternative ways to improve symptoms of focus, whether it's ADHD or just brain fog or 
you're perimenopausal and you just feel like you can't focus the same way. We talk a lot about that, especially sleep. I think sleep is the master dial to all health-related pursuits. Mm -hmm. And I think we spend a lot of time focused on like squats and what looks good on Instagram. And sleep just isn't that interesting when it comes to social media. But without a doubt, it is the cornerstone to any health pursuit, in my opinion, including focus. But for those people who have been diagnosed formally, because I think that's our first stop, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you need a formal diagnosis. And we've talked about that. I'm going to link to all of those previous subjects that we've covered on the show in our show notes for those of you who are listening. But for those people who have had a diagnosis, or maybe they have a loved one who's had a diagnosis, what I'd like to, if I could, get your perspective and some insight for us with regard to pharmaceutical treatment of ADHD. Mm -hmm. And just to start like at the basics. Yeah. So in general, when I think about medications, psychiatric medications, I'm always thinking about are you having mild, moderate, or severe symptoms? So if you're having mild to moderate symptoms of fill in the blank, depression, anxiety, attention, there's a, probably a lot of things that are going to be helpful. So if, even with attention, you can turn off your messages on your phone. You can have good sleep hygiene. You can maintain your blood sugar. You can make sure you do aerobic exercise regularly because that's been shown very strongly to, to improve focus. But if you have moderate to severe symptoms, so I would say that's defined as you know causing impairment in work, school, relationships, causing you significant problems. You're usually talking about meds. And that's true with depression. That's true with anxiety. That's true with mm -hmm. ADD. So you have a kid, for example, who's having significant problems in school with focus and he or she's sleeping fine, eating fine. And if there's a family history, then you think dad's like, this is the way I was. Nobody, mm -hmm. and I hear that story a lot. You know, kid comes in and dad's like, he's just like me and I never got any help. And I always thought of myself as stupid and not a good student. So these are the kinds of cases where you can literally turn someone's life around with medication. Mm. So there are a bunch of medications for ADD, ADHD, but let's just talk about the ones that actually work. And that, that's the stimulant. Okay. There's some ones like okay. Stratera and Intuniv, which is also called Guanfacine. Okay, as promised, here's a little more information about Stratera. Stratera is, as I mentioned, it's a medication that is growing in popularity with regard to the treatment for ADHD. It is a selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, <laughs> otherwise known as an SNRI, which basically means it helps to increase your levels of norepinephrine in the brain. And norepinephrine helps play a role in regulating your attention, your focus, and your impulse control. And what's different about Stratera versus Adderall, Ritalin, and some of the other ones we've mentioned in the show today is this one is not a stimulant. So it's ideal for someone who first of all, has concerns about addiction, has concerns about taking an additional stimulant. Those who have ADHD, there is a deficiency in norepinephrine in our brains, and it does contribute to our inattention, impulsivity, and other symptoms associated with the condition. And Stratera works by blocking the uptake of norepinephrine. So what it means is basically the neurotransmitters in the brain are more available to help regulate your attention and behavior. As one of my friends who has had tremendous success on this drug told me, he's like, in the past, felt like all these thousands of other conversations happening. And when I started taking Stratera, 
it just kind of muted all those conversations so I could really focus on what was most important, what I needed to focus on. And unlike other stimulant medications used for ADHD, which work by increasing your dopamine, Stratera does not have a direct effect on dopamine levels. Very interesting. I will say when I did additional research after hearing the doctor's comments, Stratera traditionally is known to be less effective long-term in the treatment of ADHD over stimulant-based medications. But again, there is less likelihood of addiction or of abuse. Some of the side effects associated with it include some nausea, stomach ache. So for some people, it can cause a decreased appetite, loss of weight, dry mouth, fatigue. For some people, it disrupts their sleep, which is interesting to me because it's not a stimulant. Also important to keep in mind that there's a delayed onset of the effectiveness of Stratera. So unlike other stimulant medications where the first time you take it, you're like, oh, wow, I can feel this. For some, Stratera, they don't feel it right away. Anyways, please do your own research. If you don't have a sense that your doctor is really listening to you and willing to give you the information you need and to basically, I don't want to say like do some testing, but yeah, basically have an open mind to figure out what is the right medication for you. And if in fact, medication is even the best route for you, because remember, nothing improves ADHD symptoms like lifestyle changes can. But sometimes it's a combination of both lifestyle and medication. All right, back to the show. There's some other things that kind of work a little bit, but let's talk about what really works. And the only thing that really works medication-wise for ADD are the stimulants. And there's two major Mm. families. There's the amphetamine family, which is Adderall, Vyvanse, Dexedrine. And then there's the methylphenidate family, which is Ritalin, Concerta, Focalin. And essentially, all the different options in those families are about the same. I mean, so really, you're looking at methylphenidate, you're looking at amphetamine. So the way I think about those are both scheduled to highly controlled medicines. But in my years, like 20 years of being a psychiatrist, I've seen a lot of people get into huge trouble with Adderall. Mm. Whereas I've almost never seen people get into trouble with methylphenidate. So when I'm thinking about these meds, I'm thinking about addiction potential, abuse potential. That- what is an example of a methylphenidate? Methylphenidase, Ritalin, Concerta, Ocalin. It was the very first stimulants for ADD back in the 50s were, was methylphenidate. So methylphenidate, even though it's scheduled two, you know, it's in the same highly controlled category as, as Adderall and fentanyl and morphine and all those, methylphenidate is just rarely abused. And it, it just is not as euphoria inducing. People don't snort it and shoot it like they do Adderall. In a lot of ways, it's a safer option. But I think even bigger, methylphenidate rarely destabilizes psychiatric illness, whereas Adderall can commonly destabilize psychiatric illness. So let's say you have a latent bipolar disorder. Let's say you have a budding serious anxiety disorder. Adderall or Vyvanse or the amphetamines, they can actually make that way worse or even bring it on earlier, whereas the methylphenidate derivatives seem much less likely to do that. So in my mind, the methylphenidate family is a safer thing to start with, whether you're a child or adult. Now, again, not everybody responds to those. Some people you know, need Adderall or Vyvanse, but the risk versus benefit profile, you know, the amphetamines are, are definitely significantly more risky, even though they're equally effective. Yeah. They're, you're just... yeah. And I think what we see side effect-wise is the amphetamine-based meds like Adderall very commonly cause insomnia and loss of appetite. And if you think about 
If you have attention problems, if you're taking a med that can affect your sleep and not make you hungry, that suggests that your blood sugar could be low and you're not getting deep sleep. What's that going to do for, for your attention? So I think one right. of the sad ironies I see with Adderall or the amphetamines a lot is people come in, they say, my amphetamine, it's not working anymore. Interesting. But, Interesting. But what's really happening is they're not getting great sleep and they're not eating enough. And so then the doc's like, okay, we'll give you more Adderall. So now they're eating even less, they're sleeping less. And so these people show up in my office who are on these crazy doses of Adderall and they say, oh yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is what I need. But then again, when you ask them, well, what do you eat during the day? Well, I, you know, I usually don't eat till three o'clock. Like, really? Yeah. Well, because they're on 60 milligrams of Adderall. I mean, what time do you go to bed? 60 oh, I, milligrams. Wow. Yeah. I go to bed at one. I get up at 530. Like, okay. Yes, you may have ADD, but you are not eating all day and you're sleeping four and a half hours and you're on yeah. a ton of Adderall. Like, so oftentimes what I find when people come in, if they're on stimulants and they're switching care to me, we're often going down on the stimulants because I'm saying, look, mm -hmm. the cornerstone of focus is sleep. And if mm -hmm. you're not getting good sleep, which again, a lot of people on stimulants are not getting good sleep, or what often happens is you get people who are on a bunch of amphetamines in the morning and then a bunch of benzos at night, that whole like yeah. Adderall yeah. Xanax, Adderall Xanax, which is like a speedball. When I think about people who this is their struggle, like how to organize things and in what time frame. And we're talking about a class of medications today that are, are stimulants. What is changing in the brain? Like, cause again, I feel calmer and it's like not everything looks as interesting to me mm -hmm. when I take Adderall. So what is going on in my brain that a stimulant helps to calm those things and do a better job of prioritizing my attention? Mm -hmm. So, Dopamine has a few roles in the brain, but there's one circuit of the brain that's called the saliency circuit, the important circuit. And what dopamine does in that circuit is a little bit of dopamine squirts out whenever you really need to pay attention. Something important like good meal, find a, a mate, find a safe home. Some idea seems really interesting to you. So that saliency circuit is not working properly in someone with ADD. So they're not getting proper dopamine surges to, to tell, because what the dopamine in the saliency circuit says is pay attention, this is important, pay attention. So what Adderall is doing, one of the things Adderall is doing in the stimulants is it's turning up the dopamine in that circuit, and which is basically saying, pay attention, this is important. And so you've, you know, you, I've heard people joke, like, hey, if you take enough Adderall, like you could read the phone book. But probably mm -hmm. there, are, there are no more phone books, but you know, you could just, right. because what, the dopamine does is like, is tell you, this is important. Stay on this, stay on this, stay on this. Whereas in the non-ADD brain, you're not getting those little micro surges of dopamine. So everything seems kind of equally interesting or uninteresting, equally important or unimportant, which goes to the prioritization thing. Whereas I think the non-ADD brain, as it goes through like the day, as the executive functioning part of the brain, like, okay, What's, oh, this is really important. A little dopamine surge, like, okay, I have to do that first. Not important. Oh, this is really important. You get a little, because the dopamine is like a little pin in it that says, pay attention. This is important. This is important, or is it like I feel like the things that become important to me are the things that are interesting to me? Right. Well, the saliency circuit is about interesting and important. I see. Yeah, because if you think of the human brain, it's evolved to do a number of things, but one is to look for novelty because we're pattern-seeking creatures, but novelty gets our attention fast. 
and for yeah. a lot of reasons. And that's true with a lot of mammals, but humans are really taken by novelty. You could argue the ADD brain is a little too taken with novelty. Yeah, absolutely. Squirrel brain, right? Yeah. So it's almost like it should have been renamed and have something to do with a dopamine dysregulation. Yeah. I, again, I, I like this idea of executive functioning disorder. That's a more complicated thing, but it really describes it. It's a bigger problem. It would almost be like if there was something called track and field disorder, but they decided just to name it pole vaulting disorder. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, okay, okay, pole vaulting is a small part of track and field, but track and field is all these events. There's discus, there's javelin, there's hurdles, there's decathlon. But what they did with ADD is they named it pole vaulting disorder. They named it just one part of a complicated sort of suite of cognitive issues that people have with ADD. I think I must be an outlier. I started taking 15 milligrams of extended release. Is that what it's called? Slow release of Adderall when I was, so let's see, it would be seven years ago. And I've never gone up. It never affected my sleep. I mean, I could take it and fall asleep. Never affected my energy. It never affected like my appetite, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But it just is like everything's clear. Yeah. Well, I think too, because that's a very sensible dose. Like it's interesting when when you look at what dosages people are prescribed of Adderall, very commonly American women are on 30, 40, 50, but at least 30. Like I would say most women who come to me on Adderall are at least 30, which is too much. Whereas 15, like I think many people do so much better on a smaller amount of amphetamine because as you said, it won't mm-hmm. affect your sleep, doesn't wreck your appetite, but it dials in your brain so you can focus. And I also think the extended release is a much better deal. Now, I have heard that the type of ADHD you have, which really I think has more to do with like the type of brain you have, like, like for example, someone who is more prone to, even with an ADHD diagnosis, but someone who's prone to be more anxious, more obsessive, that they tend to have feel more manic on some of these prescriptions. Has that been your experience? Yeah. So I think, yeah, people with a lot of anxiety, people with a tendency towards bipolar disorder, they usually don't do well, especially adults on the amphetamines. Amphetamines are speed. You know, what's the difference between crystal meth and Adderall? Well, a methyl group, one carbon and three hydrogen. I mean, granted, in chemistry, we know that one methyl group can make a big difference. But really, in all meaningful ways, Adderall is short-release crystal meth. It does essentially the same thing in the brain. But the the difference is that it allows you to sleep because it's short-release. You're taking a very small dose of it, very reasonable dose. Like if you started doing 80 or 120 milligrams of Adderall a day, you would become like a meth head. You'd be up all night. You'd be picking your skin. You'd be losing tons of weight. You would look like a zombie. It's interesting you would say that because my doctor recently was like, Shaleen, you should probably take the weekends off so that you don't become dependent upon it. And it's a new doctor. And I'm like, it's been eight years. I haven't titrated up. I need it on the weekends. I record on the weekends. And when I don't take it, I feel like someone, so I have a family member who was addicted to meth and I remember them just becoming obsessive with like a project and not being able to stop talking about like just not eating, just doing this thing, like whatever, taking apart a carburetor, whatever it was for hours and hours and hours and days. And sometimes it was a cleaning thing. I get that way. Mm. And I would often get that way before I started taking Adderall, I could 
even though I knew there were other things I needed to be doing, I literally felt like I was controlled. I had to keep doing this thing until it was done, even though I knew that there were consequences I would have to pay for missing deadlines or being late to something. It's just like, so for me, it's interesting you'd say that like Adderall is basically you're on a lower dosage of meth. Yeah. Although many people with ADD, ADHD say that stimulants calm them. That is a thing. Oh. Yeah. In fact, a screening question I've heard some docs say is, do you calm down with cocaine? And um, <laughs> so, and you know, a lot of people with ADD- oh, no, I've never tried it. A lot of people with ADD say, yeah, I actually do get strangely calmer. I definitely do get calmer when I'm on my Adderall. Yeah. But in terms of that vacation thing, my take on that is some people do build up a really quick and unfortunate tolerance to Adderall. And some of them actually benefit from a vacation from it. But then there are other people like you who've been on a sensible dose of Adderall for a long time and it benefits them every day and they sleep well and they eat and they seemingly do great on it. So there's no reason in my mind to take a vacation from something that is still serving you well and is not causing you problems. Well, because of this, I guess maybe it's an uptick or surge in the demand for these medications. It's so hard now for me to even get my 15 milligrams each month. It's just like I, the pharmacies are all out of it. So I will try to like, oh gosh, I, I better ration a couple in case I've got some really heavy podcasts that week. Aside from Adderall, what is the difference between Adderall and Vyvanse? Mm-hmm. So, well, the cynical me <laughs> said that so Vivance was developed by the same company that made Adderall. So when Adderall lost their mm. patent almost to the day, Vivance came on the market. So the cynical me said, oh, here's a mm. Me Too drug, an attempt to just keep our billions of profits. But it actually turns out that Vivance has a really important place in EDD treatment. Oh. So Vivance is what's called a pro-drug. So when it passes through the liver, it's converted to amphetamine, but it's not an amphetamine until it passes through the liver. But there's okay. something about that process of being a pro-drug and being converted in the liver that makes it way less abusable than Adderall. So so one of the things that's tricky to deal with in psychiatry is I have people who are former amphetamine addicts, meth addicts, cocaine addicts who have very bad ADD and they're in my office and they're not functioning. They're struggling terribly in life. Like, what do we give them? And it used to be Adderall was, but Adderall is very abusable. Vyvanse is Mm. really not very abusable. If you take Mm. too much Vyvanse, you get very tweaky and terribly panicky. And so even my patients who really love stimulants, love math, love Adderall, when they, <laughs> when they try to take too much Vyvanse, it, it has kind of a, like a shutdown mechanism. So Vyvanse is really nice. And the other thing that's nice about Vyvanse, it doesn't have the mood drop off that Adderall does. So people on higher doses of Adderall- It is more stable from yeah. what I understand. Is that, is that in the manufacturing of, you said it's the same thing, the same class of drug, but is it in the manufacturing of- the capsule and how it breaks down in our system? I think it's the pro-drug thing. It must be that the way it's converted by the liver is a slow, steady thing over seven, mm. eight, 10 hours. I'm not sure. Especially people who take 25 or 30 of Adderall or more. A lot of them say they get a big mood crash at the end of the day, but you just don't really see that with Vyvanse. Never, ever had that either. Vyvanse is very expensive. It's brand name only. It's about to go generic, thank goodness. But you know, for a lot of my okay. patients, I have to say, like, I don't prescribe many brand name meds at all, but Vyvanse, I'm definitely a fan of. And when it comes to lifestyle changes that can improve your ability to focus, we have to talk about sleep. And one of the best ways to improve your sleep, one of the easiest ways to improve your sleep, one of the funnest ways to improve your sleep is with a Blissey Silk Pillowcase. 
It's time for you to upgrade your sleep with the Blissey award-winning 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcase. You'll have better skin, better hair. Your face doesn't get all hot and sweaty because the pillowcase actually regulates your temperature so that you can stay cooler at night. You don't have to like incessantly be flipping over your pillow all night. It's washable. It's hypoallergenic. It's beautiful. It's lovely. I actually travel with mine. And by the way, when you go to their website, which is Blissy, B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com forward slash Shalene, you're going to get 55% off. Did I just say that? Yes. You get 55% off plus a 60 night free trial and free shipping. I mean, that's kind of insane. So while you're there and you get that big old discount, you should definitely look at their robes too. This robe is, I have one in champagne. It is gorgeous. It is so luxurious and you can get one to match your pillowcase and your sleep mask if you'd like. Again, that's blissy.com forward slash Shaleen for 55% off plus free shipping. Don't forget to use code Shaleen. I have to say, like, I don't prescribe many brand name meds at all, but Vyvanse, I'm definitely a fan of. Okay. And Ritalin is one you don't hear people talk about anymore. And I, I know you also in your practice treat adults and adolescents. Is Ritalin something that people more consider for children or are there certain cases where you would recommend it for adults? I would say in my practice, and I think many psychiatrists would agree, if you have somebody with pure ADD, ADHD, and you're not seeing any other psychiatric stuff, you really can probably safely choose an amphetamine or methylphenidate Ritalin, and probably both will be fine. If you have a significant depressive disorder, mood disorder, anxiety disorder, psychotic disorder, addiction, basically if you have anything else significantly going on psychiatrically, you probably should start with methylphenidate Ritalin because it just is much less likely to destabilize people. So Mm -hmm. that's a good question though with kids in America in 2023, newly diagnosed, I bet they get put on Adderall or Vyvanse more than they do methylphenidate. But I know in my practice, most of my adults are on methylphenidate. Probably 75% of my adults with ADD, ADHD are methylphenidate. And is that they come to you already on that or you find that works best for them? I would say about two thirds. I started that a third came to me on something else and I switched them to methylphenidate. And the main reason I would switch them is they're having trouble sleeping. They're getting that mood drop off with Adderall or they have a history of addiction. And I'm just worried about them going home with Adderall every month. I want to follow up with something you said about a large percentage of people who think that they're struggling with ADHD. It's really a struggle with being able to focus because of anxiety or depression. So how often do you find that those symptoms are alleviated by prescribing another type of medication like an SSRI? A lot. Yeah. So Mm. it's really common, say in a new evaluation, someone will say, usually not at the beginning, but at some point they'll say, you know, and I think I have ADD. I can't focus you know, at work. I can't do my projects. But it turns out that if you look at, let's say, look at depression, you know, if you look at the core symptoms of depression, one of them is cognitive impairment. Pretty much everybody in a depressive episode has serious attentional problems. If you look mm-hmm. at people with all the anxiety disorders, they all have focus problems. People with sleep disorders, people with who smoke a lot of weed, people who drink too much. So attention is really the starting place I bet almost everyone who comes to me for an evaluation has serious attentional problems, but it's Hmm. because of their other psychiatric stuff, if you will, and or their lifestyle. And again, I think the whole ADD, ADHD diagnosis thing really argues for family collateral. And I've talked about that on my podcast. What does that mean? 
So, so talking to family members. And I've done that where like, here's the classic thing I'll do. I'm seeing a college student, you know, and she says, yeah, I think I have ADD, but, but and it's, you know, it sounds like a pretty convincing story. And I say, can we call your parents? Oh, well, they're in Miami. Like, well, let's call them. So I'll just put my phone down, <laughs> get speakerphone. I'm like, hey, Mrs. Jones, Dr. Heacock, tell me about Sarah in elementary school. Like, what did you hear at the parent-teacher conferences? How did her homework go? And when you can get parental input, you can usually get it very nailed down. You don't need to do neuropsych testing necessarily if you can get good family collateral, especially in these days. It's a little different, say, for us. When we were little, ADD wasn't even a diagnosis. I remember ADD was first made a diagnosis in the DSM right around my senior year of college because one of my roommates came back and he said, guys, the reason I can't finish my thesis is because I have something called attention deficit disorder. I remember we went, what? We're like, that's <laughs> bullshit. That is bullshit. Like, no, you're just lazy. He's like, no, I have an illness in my brain. And he does. He's actually one of the most ADD people I've ever known. But you know, in 1980, 89, like, we didn't know what that was. And it had just been described yeah. you know, as a diagnosis. Yeah. And certainly more so for boys initially mm -hmm. than girls. And I think we tend to present differently and we all learn different ways of masking and different ways of, I don't know, uh, getting attention for something else other than our inability to focus. When you're treating somebody who you know, especially let's say it's, we're talking about kids again, you know that this kid definitely has ADHD and the parents are like, I don't want to drug my kid or my fear is I'm going to start them on the stimulant and I'm giving them like a gateway to addiction later. How do you handle that? Yeah. First is, I think it's, I spend a lot of time with people trying to understand their fears about medications because it's not just ADD meds so often because yeah. I see a lot of young people and it's interesting when I went into psychiatry, I thought when I would see young people that if they needed medicine, that the parents would say they need meds and the kids would be like, no, but it's the opposite. Like my teenagers, like I need help. And the parents like, we don't want any medicine. That's more common is what you're saying. It's more often. That's way more common. Yep. That the okay. parents, and it's not just any kind of meds, ADD meds, depression meds. Is it stigma? Well, it's interesting because it's everything. So it's everything. Like I've had in a case of like a mom break down in tears and say, you know what? My sister was on Prozac 15 years ago and she killed herself the next year. Oh, or sure. my mom was on lots of psych meds and she used to be passed out in bed and we'd find her with pills everywhere. So a lot of times people, or, you know, the big one is if I have to take psychiatric meds, like I'm crazy, like I'm broken. Yeah. And so I spend time, like, what do meds mean to you? What would it mean if you were on meds? What would it mean if your 18 year old son were on meds? That's the first thing. But regarding the stimulant issue, there's very clear data that school failure predicts life failure. I mean, school failure predicts drug use and dropout and all sorts of problems because you know, school is the work of children. And if your kids are failing at their job, which is school, that's just crushing. So anything we can do to help kids succeed at their work, which is school, I think assuming that it's safe and reasonable, we should try to do that. And then the other thing is with ADD, I try to bring it back to the family piece. Again, almost inevitably, if you've got a kid in my office with ADD, one of the parents has it or both the uncles and the great because you, you usually have to break the news to them like by the way <laughs> but actually it's nice because sometimes there have been so many times where like the dad will stay later like the family leaves and the dad will say i think i have that too like would you see me because my yeah. son is just like i was and i suffered so much uh. so the core stuff, if you will, of psychiatry is very genetic. I mean, there's huge environmental influences, but the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. 
So a lot of the stuff we see that causes the most misery, suffering, disability, mom, dad, grandparents, same thing. Yeah. Growing up with someone who had, has, still has extreme ADHD, I didn't have, like I've talked to friends who have ADHD and, and they felt like really like their parents made them feel bad about themselves and their grades, et cetera. And I think because my dad had extreme ADHD, a lot of it was normalized. So like I didn't realize until I was out of the house and Mm -hmm. on my own that these things aren't going to be tolerated by other people. Like this is not normal and this is not how we do things and it's not okay. Society is not set up to operate this way, even though your household was. So it was then that I had to figure out how to cope and how to manage myself really Do you find it useful for someone who has ADHD to work with an ADHD coach? I do. Again, if we go back to this idea that the attentional aspect of ADD is just one small part of it, so much of what ADD is, is trying to figure out how to prioritize and plan and execute. So an ADD coach can serve sort of as the general contractor or kind of co-hard drive of your brain. Yeah. Like, like let's Project just, manager. Yeah. Like let's lay out everything that has to happen this week. How do we think about prioritizing it? How do we think about how much time it would take? Because those kind of things that people who don't have ADD just do it. Yeah. If you have executive functioning problems to actually plan out your day is an ominous task because it's like, dude, dude, this is important. That's important. This is important. That's important. This is important. That's important. Yes. I think yes, that's important. Yes, yes. But what is most important? How long is it going to take? Because again, if your brain... The ADD brain is not monitoring time properly, then nothing you're doing are you actually sort of recording it well. Like you're you're not monitoring it in a, in a way that's going to help you plan for the rest of the day. So yes, having an ADD coach can be hugely helpful. And I looked at your website, and it looks like what you've done is you've outsourced some of your executive functioning to your family and your assistant. Oh, almost all, yeah, yeah, which is so smart. You know what I'm really good at, which is interesting, is you can tell me like this huge, huge project and on paper, I will outplan everyone. I know what order everything needs to be done in and how long everything's going to take. But then when it comes to executing, that's where my attention goes to like whatever is the most interesting, even though I know it's in the wrong order. So I have to have safeguards in place. I have Rachel is my ADHD manager. I show her what I'm going to do that day. She makes sure I actually do it in that order. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank you so much for your time and all this information. It's been phenomenal. I know you're very busy and you've got your own podcast, which by the way, where can people follow up if they want to listen to your show? Yeah, that would be fantastic. I have a psychiatric storytelling podcast called Back from the Abyss. And we have people telling their stories of plunging into psychiatric darkness and how they got out. And then also I have some experts on there and I also do some talks on different topics on therapy and psychedelics and psychopharmacology. It's a little bit like This American Life meets Psychiatry because we have cool <laughs> we have cool music and the stories are really beautifully edited and people come out on there and they just open up their heart and they talk about their deepest, darkest stuff. Oh my gosh, this sounds like ear candy for me. How often do you release an episode? Every two weeks. So unlike you, that's you're a, doing five a week. But well, I have a, that's a lot of production though. Yeah, and I have a full-time job. So this is like my garage band. <laughs> this, is, this is my side love. <laughs> So yeah, we do one every two it. weeks. So it's heavy, but it's beautiful. But I think if you're yeah. in, you know, if you're into listening to an hour of people going into a really hard place and describing how they got back out, and I think there's some good learning and good hope. You do a lot with psychedelics, don't you? Yeah, I do a lot of work with ketamine, which 
people debate whether ketamine is a psychedelic, but I can assure you that it is. It's a very powerful psychedelic. Mm-hmm. And then in Colorado, we just had a statewide proposition plant or passed where now we're going to be able to start working with psilocybin and DMT and a couple other psychedelic medicines to help people. So I think Colorado is really at the forefront nationally of using psychedelic medicines to treat trauma and treatment resistant depression. Yeah. Great play. I mean, just all of the resources. There's not one thing that works for everyone. So I love that we're expanding in that way. And it's a topic I know nothing about. So I would love to invite you to be a guest again so we could talk specifically about that. Oh, yeah. I have a lot to say about that. (laughs) Okay, awesome. We'll do that then. And thank you again for taking the time today to share all of this information with us. Is there a way that people can reach out to you? What is the best way for people to reach out to you other than listening to the podcast? I'd say the best way to reach out to me is just go to my website, craigheacockmd.com. And there's some information about what I do and you can email me through there. And if you write me, I'll definitely write you back. Wow. Be careful what you (laughs) promise. (laughs) At least for now. It's in 2023. I'll write you back. Right. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate what you do. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that. Let me know if you would like to have Dr. Heacock back on the show to talk about using psychedelics to treat mood disorders, PTSD. There's a whole range of mood disorders that are now being treated by things like ketamine, MDMA, psychedelics in general, microdosing. So I would love to dig into that. I know nothing about it. So you're going to help me by telling me what questions do you have on the subject. I would love to hear from you. Drop those comments inside of our Facebook group, The Pod Squad. If you're a Patreon member, please drop them inside of our Patreon app. I'm always reading your comments there. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, just do me a favor and double check and make sure that you're subscribed or following if you're actually someone who listens on the Apple podcast. And if you've got just like 30 seconds, it would really mean the world to me if you were able to leave a five-star review and tell me specifically what it is you liked about this episode. My show is released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I do also have a business podcast that comes out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I host that with my son, Brock. It's called Build Your Tribe. You should check it out. There's always a link in the show notes. I'm sure you know this, but on Fridays, my episodes are very casual. It's very personal. It's usually stuff with myself and my husband. If you love that kind of stuff, I want to invite you to check out my Patreon. It's all of the Shaleen Show episodes ad-free. In addition to that, for just $5 a month, you get extra episodes. And this is this is the stuff that's like kind of too personal to put on the Shaleen Show. It, it's all personal stuff. There's like no like personal development. It's just real, raw, what's going on in our lives, stuff we can't talk about on the show. However, if you are easily offended, Patreon is not for you. That's not the place to be, all right? You can learn more about it by going to patreon.com forward slash The Shalene Show. Any of the links that I referenced in this episode will show up in the show notes, which are just below the episode. To learn more about the services that I offer and to take advantage of some of the free resources, I invite you to check out my website, which can be found at shalene.com. 